Football MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. You know a new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's industry seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires and brought to you by Blenzall, Plum Creek Funding, Works Connection, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, 612 Suspension, and Fly Racing. Welcome to Industry Seating. I am Jason Thomas. It is Sunday, August 16th. I've watched a lot of racing today already. Not done with everything, but it's been a pretty eventful day so far for me. I got up at around 5 a.m., got prepared for a pretty wild MotoGP race. For those of you that don't pay attention to MotoGP, it's the highest form of uh, road racing that's out there. They were in Austria today at the Red Bull ring. And if you see any highlights from it, it was one of the scariest crashes in both Moto2 and MotoGP that I've ever seen. So maybe go check that out or at least find the clips on their social media, but wild day. Then that got me into MXGP, which I just finished and pretty good racing over there. That's the third round in a row that we've watched. And I'm getting a little bored with the, uh, the Kegums track, which I'm sure the riders have to be much more bored than I am, but racing goes on. So that's their third round in a week. And now they get to, uh, they get to fly back home and, and take a break. So sure. They're looking forward to that. Um, but they have finished now round five of their series and we will briefly talk about those updates, but obviously the biggest object of this podcast will be the opening round of Lucas oil pro motocross that went on at Loretta Lynn's dude ranch yesterday, just outside of Waverly, Tennessee. So I was up early for that as well. Very excited. My fantasy team didn't do very well, which I was pretty bummed about, kind of ruined my afternoon. But if you play Pulpamax Fantasy, then you are very aware of how that generally goes. And I was pretty upset for about an hour and then it passed. And then I liked racing again. So before we get too far into this, I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Pirelli Tires, Blenzall Oils, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, and Fly Racing. We'll talk about those a little bit more in depth as we go, but let's jump right into this Lucas Oil Pro Motocross race. And the first time we've ever seen a professional race go down at Loretta Lens. And this is, you know, most of you are going to know this, but this is kind of the granddaddy of them all for amateur racing. There are many more amateur nationals now than there used to be, but this has been the one that always counts the most. So it was kind of a homecoming for most of the field. Yes, guys like Dylan Ferrandis and guys like Marvin Muscan and, and most of the foreigners that have joined our series, they have not spent much time or at any time at Loretta Lens, and I'm sure it was a learning experience, but it didn't really feel that way. It felt like everybody was kind of on a level playing field. Ferrandis came out and set the fastest time in qualifying. Marvin was good all day. So I didn't really feel like that advantage that we, we talked about that might be apparent. I didn't really feel like we saw any of that. But a great day overall. The weather it cooperated on Saturday, but it, it definitely was difficult with heavy, heavy rains on Thursday and Friday. 
and there was definitely some some questionable track work that went on. I know they had a press day set up for Friday afternoon for some guys to get track time and, and work out some of the kinks of the track with time to still make changes. So they had kind of ripped it up in anticipation of a great practice day on Friday, but the only caveat of that is if it rains, you're screwed because if you rip the track up and then it rains, you're allowing all of that water and excess runoff to go into, you know, deep into the soil, which is what, you know, ripping and disking the track does. So it's always kind of rule number one. And I'm, and I'm very surprised that these guys didn't do a better job of that. You know, rule number one is if you're anticipating rain, you seal it. And by sealing it, that means you take the bulldozers and skid steers and whatever equipment you have, and you make it completely flat and you grade it like a bulldozer, almost like a steamroller would. So when the rains come down, they run off the track and they run to the low spots and then you deal with that. But the majority of the track is going to be higher than the surrounding dirt. So it will immediately run off on a, off of a smooth surface, which you've just built. And then the dirt is really hard. And then you can then flip the dirt with the disc or the tiller, and then you have great dirt. So that's, it's very basic, you know, track maintenance 101. but it seems like they either underestimated the chance of rain on Friday, or I don't know, maybe they felt that the practice on Friday was, was too critical to get things off on the right foot. That could have been it. They, they could have been so fearful of a really negative Friday practice. If, if the track wasn't good, these guys could have come off the track and just been complaining and really set a negative tone for this event that maybe they felt like they just had to hope for the best with the rain and build the best possible track for Friday that they could and, and create a positive atmosphere around the event. Because that's really been the talk coming in was that the track's too small. It's built for amateurs, you know, and, and how would that really play out for professional riders? Because again, professional riders are, they're kind of complainers. And I was one, we're used to really good conditions. And this is what we do for a living is, is ride and race motocross. So we are critical when things aren't good. So I think they were a little fearful of that because I think they knew the powers that be knew that you know, it's not a consolation prize of a track, but it, again, it's, it's never really been purpose built for professional racing. It is small, you know, lap times are pretty short. Uh, luckily the rains kind of slowed the track down and we'll see if that plays a factor again next Saturday, but it definitely was slower and more technical than it certainly could have been. So in the end, rains really made practice and qualifying tough but I believe it made the racing much better. It slowed the track down and made it much more technical and more thought provoking for the riders than, than it would have been. Otherwise it would have been fast and really short lap times. And I think you would have heard more comments about it being easy than it ended up being. And that was purely because of the heavy rains on Friday. So we ended up with a pretty tough day. I, I think when you look at the crashes and the difficulties that these guys faced, it was obviously very hot and humid. That's normal for Loretta Lens. Even though the amateur week wasn't too terrible, we had a pretty hot day on Saturday, and I would expect more of the same next Saturday. That's all, you know, we're, we're kind of assuming the news that maybe you haven't heard, but if you live under a rock, they canceled Washougal because of various issues, and we won't get into the politics of that, but we were forced into a second round of Loretta Lens, which almost happened this coming Tuesday. I don't think that would have been a good plan at all. I'm very happy that 
there were enough people that voiced their concerns about a Tuesday round. So they pushed that to next Saturday. Washugo is now off the schedule as far as Lucas Oil Pro Motocross, which is a bummer. I was planning on driving over there. But I think after the, the Saturday round we had, I think we can expect another good Saturday race. And I think most of the guys you've, ta- you've heard in interviews and social media posts, they were okay with the track. Is it the best track of the series? No. Did we? I, I mean, that's really unlikely, and I don't think that's even a fair expectation or question to ask. You just want it to be somewhere middle of the road for a round that's never been on the series. And, and let's be honest, wasn't really planned to be before COVID-19 hit for, for it to just be average or better. That's a win. So congratulations to MX sports. I thought that the riders did a good job of, excuse me, thanking them and giving them credit because that had to be very difficult to pull off and a lot of logistics and things are still happening, right? We just had a vote on Friday to cancel a round and add a Loretta Lens round. So it's not like anything is set in stone here. We could get more changes before this thing is over. And, and I think you would be wise to expect more changes with the, the, just the way things are going and the influx of news that we're getting and the fluidity of this COVID-19 situation across the country, state laws, governors getting involved, uh, changing rules daily. Uh, that's just the norm. That That's not a, a, you know, kind of a weird factor that, you know, we're not used to seeing things like that. Like canceling a round of any series would be just massive news. doesn't really seem like it anymore. just seems like, oh yeah, big deal. They canceled a round. Where are we going? Where should I change my flight to? Which a year ago, I, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't have believed that possible, but that's where we are. It's just a, it's a phrase that I've said way too many times in, two, in 2020 is just, this is a new normal, but we're going to get used to it and we're going to move on. I'm going to jump right into some of the racing. I'm going to, and I'm going to do this a little bit of a rapid fire deal. I don't want this podcast to drag on super long, but so I'm just going to hit rapid fire points that I saw in both classes and maybe expound on a couple of those if necessary, but we'll start off with the 250 class. I mean, what more can you say for Dylan Ferrandis? He dominated. And did he win by half an hour? Of course not. He, he didn't, you know, go out and put in like James Stewart on a 125 type performance. But no one could argue that he was the best guy on Saturday. And if you're going to come out to a track that you've never been to and you did, you're not the defending champ, you know, last year, I, I don't think you could make much of an argument that he was really any better than Justin Cooper was to come out and go 1-1 on a track that all these other guys have ridden a ton and really in dominating fashion, I think, you know, he probably had more in the tank if he needed it. I'm sure he was managing the rate, managing the race on some level. His start in the second moto wasn't ideal. First moto is pretty good. Second moto wasn't ideal, but he still made it happen, moved through the pack pretty quickly. And honestly, I didn't see a lot from anybody to make me think he's not going to be able to do that on the regular. Jeremy Martin should be good. I think J-Mart will have his days where he gives him everything he wants and more. But on that track, on that day, he was by far your best guy. And it had to be a little unnerving for your championship contenders, namely Jeremy Martin, who I think will end up being his biggest competition week in and week out. You can't like the look of that. That, that couldn't have been a very confident day. You know, it was fine. He got on the podium. But you were hoping to come in and, and have a little edge over Ferrandis, and you did definitely did not have an edge. No one had an edge over Dylan Ferrandis yesterday. So great ride by Dylan. He deserves all the credit, and he is going to be awfully tough to beat this summer for anybody wanting to, to take that championship away from him. 
I think the second person here that needs to get credit is RJ Hampshire. Now, most of you who are listening to this podcast have probably raced. You've probably at least ridden a motorcycle, you know, probably grew up doing it. That's what most of us have all gone through. And having gone along with that, you've probably had some sort of injury, maybe even a knee injury. It's one of the most common injuries out there for motocross riding. I know I've had two, you know, RJ Hampshire got his fixed in April and he was not expecting a return to supercross so fast. We've talked about it a lot on the Pulp and Mech shows. Steve Mathis had uh, some sponsorship opportunities there that he got burned on by RJ missing the, the uh, Salt Lake run there. So that was a bummer for Steve. Uh, you know, we were all joking about it and yeah, it's not great for Steve, but if you are just an RJ Hampshire fan and you were hoping for a good day, you got it. I mean, what an impressive comeback ride by RJ Hampshire. I didn't see that coming. You know, as a, a sponsor with Fly Racing, I was hoping he would get out there and, you know, run around the top five, maybe top 10, first race back from a knee injury. He was a hell of a lot better than that. Uh, he was solidly on the podium. And, and maybe you could make the argument that he and J-Mart were kind of the same. You know, they switched positions each moto. But he was easily a podium guy, and he earned it. He was on a mission in the early laps of that second moto. And I think he's just going to get better from here. Because as you all know, and as I know, the toughest days of a knee injury are the first ones. You get better and better and better, and you get better quickly. His body's going to respond positively to a heavy workload like that, and he's going to recover and get stronger and stronger. So I could see him winning races. I wouldn't have said that on Friday, but after the performance I saw yesterday, I don't have any reason to doubt him. His fitness looked good. You know he works with the Alden Baker crew, so he's been practicing with Zach Osborne and Cooper Webb and Styles Robertson every day. So he knows what the work takes, and, and I'm sure they have whipped him into shape, and the heat shouldn't bother him, and all those things. I just didn't think he would be able to go that fast for that long this early. Paul Parabinos went through a knee surgery a year ago, and he's still, he's still struggling with it. You know, All through the spring when he was riding, he was just complaining and was in pain and couldn't ride well. I think he was the most blown away because he's just coming out of that, that whole dynamic of a knee injury. And you see what RJ Hampshire was capable of. And it almost seems inhuman. So great job to RJ there. J Mart, we touched on a little bit, but I thought it was a good day. You know, he's, this is his first outdoor racing since 2018. And as he mentioned on the podium, the last time he raced an outdoor race, he won the moto and then exploded his back in that really ugly crash with Justin Cooper. So I thought it was a good, a good rebound race, a good return to outdoor racing. Unfortunately, he is going up against Dylan Ferrandis and Ferrandis just looks loaded for bear. I mean, he just looks really prepared. It's the most confident and kind of comfortable in his own skin that I've seen Ferrandis. So J Mark's going to have to be his best self. Do I know? I don't know if he can beat him. I think he's going to beat him in motos, but I cannot stress enough how impressed I was with Ferrandis, and that's what J-Mart's up against. That, you know, the, the national championship is the ultimate goal. I think J-Mart would be the first one to tell you that. So he's going to have to be his best self. He's going to have to get good starts consistently, and he cannot make mistakes. He cannot crash and fall over in the corner like he did before the finish line. It was a simple mistake just tipping over. He's not going to be able to do that if he wants to be Dylan Ferrandis in this series. Next, uh, Shane McElrath. I thought he was pretty good. Great starts. You can see that that star engine is just unbelievable. I mean, their guys were up front every single time, and 
I don't see that changing. You have a deep start like Loretta's. You know, we're going to move on through this series. We're going to go to Ironman, which is exactly the same. Super long, super deep start. Follow that up by Redbud. More of the same. There's two rounds of Redbud. Super deep, loamy start. And those Yamahas are just going to plow through it. They have so much more torque. And you can it, you can literally see it. You can see the power edge, especially on the bottom when the bike is under heavy load. You can see how much of an edge those Yamahas have. And that's going to really serve them well throughout this 2020 Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Series. So McArath, really strong start. Much better than his 2019 stint. Other than Washugo, I don't I don't know where that ride came from. It's kind of out of nowhere. But I thought it was a pretty good ride for McElrath, who I don't think most of us expected a lot this summer. I don't want to kind of poo-poo McElrath's summer, but I, I didn't expect him to come out and be a podium guy week in and week out. So I guess all I'm saying is it was a little bit better than I expected, and we'll see if he can keep it up. Because the biggest thing is the starts. If he starts 10th, I don't think he's coming to 4th. And that's kind of been the story of his career. So if he can consistently start top three, which he, he, he might on that bike, he might, uh, it's going to bode well for his summer. The rookies, I thought the rookies were good. Uh, there were, there were a lot of them. So you're talking about styles, Robertson, Dylan Schwartz, Mason Gonzalez and Hardy Munoz should probably add uh Josh for in there too. He didn't get a lot of fanfare coming in, but he rode pretty well, but I thought it was a pretty positive day for all of them. I t- I'll tell you, though, the guy that really flew under the radar and he's going to have a breakout second round, in my opinion, is Styles Robertson. Because if you were really paying attention, like all of us fantasy nerds do, his lap times were incredibly good. He was on pace with the top five guys. Unfortunately, he just crashed like 10 times throughout the day and his starts were not good either. So it's going to be up to him to fix those mistakes and put himself in a good position but I'm telling you right now, the speed was there. It, it really was. He got himself back to double points in that second moto from nowhere. So watch for Robertson to have a breakout second round. And people are going to, I'm telling you right now, people are going to be like, where did that come from? He wasn't good at the first round at all. And that's going to be really untrue. It's, it's true on paper, but it's not indicative at all of how he was riding at the first round. So keep an eye on that. Mason Gonzalez was really the story though. He, he got it done. Uh, he ran around just inside the top 10 all day and quietly because I don't think he really got the publicity or the notoriety that that ride, it deserved that. So we'll see if he can back it up at round two. And we, talk, we even talked about it on several of our shows. I don't remember if I mentioned it on this show specifically or not, but he is an incredibly good starter. And that served him well. And, and on that Loretta Lynn's track, we talked about this Again, that was one of the key points on all the shows we did leading up that the starts were going to be everything for Loretta's. It's it's such a powerful tool in your toolbox at most tracks. And Loretta's just highlights that even more. And it was nice to see that kind of play out in a positive way for a kid who he needed it. Mason Gonzalez needed to get a start to put his name out there. He doesn't have a full ride. He doesn't have a factory bike. And that's the goal for these kids because, you know, guys like Styles Robertson and you know, maybe even Dylan Schwartz, I don't really know, but I, I think those kids are going to get signed and I haven't really heard much about Mason Gonzalez. So great job from him. Uh, I think if he can go out and back that up, just put himself solidly in the top 15 again, that will go a long way to solidifying a chance at a, at a, 
let's say a real team and, and I don't know his status at all. Maybe he's, he's got a deal. Maybe he's going to be at rock river or something next year. I don't, I don't know that. So I probably shouldn't speculate, but I can tell you that putting yourself in the top 10 in your early rounds of racing goes a long way because what a team manager is going to look at is say, if he's doing that on privateer equipment, you know, coming right out of amateur class, we can take him and mold him and really turn him into something because the talent level is there. And that's all these team managers care about. I'm telling you talent trumps all because every team manager and every team owner believes that they are a magician and all they need is a little bit of, you know, they're sprinkling magic on them. And it's usually not true, but that's how they judge these, these hiring decisions is what, you know, if everything goes right, what are the, what's their high end ceiling? What are they capable of? And uh, I think Mason Gonzalez went a long way in proving that he's got a pretty high ceiling, even the, in, you know, in early days right now. Now, next on my list is Hunter Lawrence. I don't know. I, I don't know what to tell you about Hunter Lawrence. He did not have a good day. His brother was ahead of him all day. Jet went, what, 6'6 six, six or something like that. I, I don't have the results right in front of me, which is bad form on my part. But Jet was somewhere around there. Hunter was not. Hunter was... Outside of the top 10, he DNF the first moto, and then the second moto, I think he got 14th. Um, it wasn't good. It was not a good day for Hunter Lawrence. He's going to need to rebound in a big way at round two. If he wants any relevancy in this series, points-wise, he's going to have to go out and get on the podium. I think that's really the only way to get yourself back into this thing is show up and show up in a very large way. So I know he knows that. I'm sure he's very frustrated, uh, but there's only one way to fix it. Cameron McAdoo, this is the last guy I have on my list to talk about for the 250 class. You know what? He's in a tough spot because with the loss of Garrett Marchbanks and Austin Forkner in Supercross, Cameron McAdoo assumed the role of team leader. And that was not really the pressure that was necessarily going to be applied to him. I don't think that's what Mitch had in mind at all for Cameron McAdoo. Now, I think if you're Nick Way, you know, Cameron McAdoo's coach, you're like, hey, that's fine. Let's step up. Let's, let's take advantage of this opportunity. The time is now. But I think for everyone else who's being objective, you're kind of like scratching your head and saying, you know, is, is McAdoo really ready for that? Because I think Forkner has had time to develop into that guy. You look at a guy like Dylan Ferrandis on a different team, a guy like Jeremy Martin on a different team. Uh, you go to, you know, TLD KTM doesn't really have that guy right now, but all these teams have established veterans that they know the pressures on them. They are paid big bucks to, to carry the weight of that pressure and to deliver results and deliver wins and deliver titles. They know it going in. The teams know it. Everybody knows it and everybody's on board. And if you don't deliver, that's on you. But I think for McAdoo, I don't really think that's fair because I don't think he has a big salary. I would pretty much guarantee he doesn't have a big salary. And he's forced into a spot where he's got, yes, he has Mitchell Harrison and Darian Sinai as backup on that team, but they are last-minute fill-ins. And McAdoo's the guy that Mitch is probably banking on. He's probably looking at McAdoo going, hey, dude, we need you on the podium. You are on, you know, arguably the best equipment out here, you know, at least on par. I don't think anybody's ever looked at Mitch Payton's Pro Circuit program and said, yeah, they're – they're on subpar equipment. That would be silly. So I'm sure Mitch is looking at, at whackers as uh, Hunter and Jet Lawrence call them and saying, listen, this is your time. You got to do this. You have to carry the weight for our team because we need you. We are down on our star guys. And, and I would say 
to name, I would just say Forkner. Forkner was the guy coming in that we all, you know, coming into 2020 expected to be the title contender. Whether he could beat Ferrandis, who cares? He was going to be in the mix. Now that falls to McAdoo, and that's a lot of pressure to deal with. And to be honest, I think McAdoo would be better served to not even look at it that way. Like, forget all that. Just go in with the same game plan you had before. Just go out there and try to do the best you can. And I'll tell you, when I listened to McAdoo's interview, and I don't remember if it was in practice, sometime on Saturday, you know, during the NBC Gold app coverage, they did an interview with Cameron McAdoo, and he sounded like he was feeling the pressure a little bit. You know, he even said, I expect to be a podium guy consistently, and I expect to battle for moto wins. I think that's almost word for word what he said. And I wondered at the time, I, I kind of, I didn't shake my head because that's not fair, but I, I kind of turned my head to the side a little bit, almost like a confused dog would, because I don't know if he's ready for that. I, I don't picture him on the same level that I do J-Mart and Ferrandis. I just don't. And, and that's okay if McAdoo doesn't like that. He could disagree. That's fine. It's not a knock on McAdoo. It's just where he is in the, develop, the development of his career. He will be there. I believe that. If he stays on Mitch, Mitch Payton's program and continues to progress, he will be there. I just don't think 2020 he's necessarily there yet. So I would have preferred, I, I think mentally, if I could mold him or his mindset, I would have preferred for him to be like, hey, I have nothing to lose. I'm just going to do the best I can here. You know, we're, we're down on some of our guys. We're, our team is, um, you know, we're in a precarious spot, and I've just got to step up and do the best I can versus I think the narrative coming out of the team is, hey, you're a podium guy and you better go win. I really believe that. And, and that's, I don't care if anybody doesn't like it. That's what I feel. I feel like they've kind of put that impetus on him that should have been put on Forkner. That's, that's what Forkner should be saying. That's the rhetoric that Forkner's team should be repeating, not necessarily Cam McAdoo. So We'll see. Maybe Cam McAdoo proves me wrong and I have to eat my words and I will be the first one to come out here and say, you know what? I undersold McAdoo and he should be a podium guy week in and week out. But from what I saw this weekend, I think he's still working towards that moment. I just don't think he's quite there yet. So I want to talk about the sponsors a little bit. Pirelli Tires, the title sponsor of this podcast. And did you see the starts that those 450 guys got with those Pirelli scoop tires? Now that scoop tire is a Pirelli Scorpion Soft, and it's it's the tire of choice. I mean, the MXGP guys use it almost all the time. And the great thing about that tire is it's it's very much developed for soft conditions, as as it's called a soft tire. But it works in a variety of conditions. You could even use it on a track like Loretta Lens. Now, if the track hardens up and it gets dusty and hard pack, yeah, you're not going to want to use it. It's going to spin up on you and not give you the best side grip. But for medium conditions and softer, especially on the start, there is nothing that can come close to that tire on the start. And that's why those guys use it. It's almost guaranteed. If you don't blow it, you're going to get a good start with that tire. And you just see it globally. You saw it with Freddie Norn and Joey Savacci in that first 450 moto. They rocketed out there. And having used that tire, having been a part of the Pirelli program, there is zero doubt in my mind that that tire was an absolute factor in those starts. So I can remember going back to Chad Reed. Remember the start he got both motos at Ironman in 20, was it 2015, 2016, whatever year that was. 
maybe even after that. Uh, but he used that scoop tire and they were just kind of laughing because they knew they were going to blow those guys away. And of course they gave him that grass gate or whatever. But before that, they knew how, how potent that tire was. And you just see it play out time and time again. It, it's, it's a weapon. So check out Pirelli tires. If you ride in the sand, check out that Pirelli Scorpion Soft. Also want to thank Buenzo Oils. Listen, they're making a comeback. I told you guys this every week. You are going to see Blenzol make an appearance, sponsoring riders, sponsoring series, sponsoring events. And it's going to come across to you one day. You're going to be like, hmm, you know what? I remember hearing something about that. Maybe it was on the podcast. I heard about Blenzol Oils. And it's going to start to click for you. And then you're going to go to Blenzol.com. And you're going to go to at Blenzol on their Instagram. And you're going to learn more about the products. And you're going to put them into your repertoire. You're going to start using their chain loop. You're going to start using the ultra. You're going to start using it in your two stroke. So go check out all the things I just mentioned at Blenzol and get a little bit more familiar with the products they have to offer. You can get 10% off mixed pine cases, which is pretty cool, right? So you can get the things that you need. You don't have to buy a whole case of something that maybe it's going to take you months to use. You can mix and match to build the case that you want and you get a discount for doing it. Also want to talk about works connection, Eric Phipps and the boys over there helping those star racing guys get off to a great start yet again, they use the pro launch start device. And you saw that in action just yesterday. So great job to works connection. Another thing I want to mention to you is they have their tack hour meters. Now for if most of you are just getting brand new bikes, it's new bike season, right? It's, it's that time of the year. So if you go to worksconnection.com, you can check out their hour meters. They have mounts for the hour meters and they also have radiator braces. So when you get that new bike, put those radiator braces on it. So you don't, you know, fall over the first day and ruin your radiators and have this huge bill on top of the bill you just got for your bike. So go to at works connection, go to worksconnection.com, get that hour meter. So you can keep up with the service that you need to do on your bike. And when you do that service, Hey, use Blends oils, Plum Creek funding, 30 year fixed rate is still under 3%. It comes out every week. It's still under 3%. These are the lowest rates we've ever seen. And I did my own little research this morning, mortgage applications from one year ago, they're up 22% in August. You know why? Because it's a hell of a deal. That's what I'm telling you. Reach out to Zach Morris at Plum Creek Funding, 720-212-4685. See what kind of deal he can get you on a refi. See how much money he can save you if you're looking to buy something. See how much money he can save you because the rates have never, and this isn't hyperbole, this is fact. Rates have never been this low in the history of America, period. That's why people are buying. And this is on purpose. You know, the economy's struggling. High, you know, record unemployment, which is coming down, thankfully. But the Federal Reserve is helping America out by putting these rates down to nothing. So people are willing to spend money. So people understand that there are bargains that we may never see again. We may never see interest rates this low ever again. So if you are in any position to buy or refi, talk to Zach Morris at Palm Creek Funding. Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia. Go check out their Instagram, 25% discount. If you mention, mention the industry seating podcast and it's, it's kind of a weekly habit for me. I go on their Instagram and see what job they've been up to, but they're absolutely killing it with their restoration projects. It's a pretty new technology. I didn't even know about this until I'm going to say February when I first started talking to Brandon about it, 
but it's pretty awesome. I know uh, Steve Mathis has been using this to uh, res- restore his CR500 that he's doing. It's actually his bike. So the technology is undeniable, and I ask that you choose Premier Vapor Blasting for your restoration work. Now, 612 suspension, we have something cool to talk about today. We're actually doing a revalve giveaway. So Fork and Shock revalve, it's a $250 value, and this is how you sign up. First follow, at 612, and you spell it S-I-X-12 on Instagram. Then tag at 612 and tag at industry seating, which is this podcast in a post with the hashtag, my suspension needs a rebuild. That's hashtag my suspension needs a rebuild. And Ronnie, who is the owner over there, will check it out and he will pick an owner or pick an owner. He will pick a winner for next week's podcast. So you're getting a fork and shock rebuild giveaway, $250 value. It's pretty awesome. You're going to be dialed. Your bike's going to handle better than ever before. And if you mention the industry seating podcast for any normal work you do with him, you get a 20% discount on parts and labor. So hell of a deal. I, that's three, I've cursed three times in this podcast. I apologize to all of you, but go check it out. 612suspension.com at 612 on Instagram. And I've kind of told you guys week in and week out that he can do anything for power sports, side-by-side street bike, dirt bike, quad, moped, whatever you got. He can make it work to the best of its potential. So reach out to Ronnie and tell him that I sent you. Now, Fast Foundry is a tech solutions company. They're not moto. They don't make exhaust. They don't make gear, thankfully, because they wouldn't be able to sponsor this podcast. But they are tech solutions. So if you are needing to automate, if you're needed to modernize your startup, or if you have an established company, maybe you've been around forever and you're just kind of looking at the landscape and saying, man, we really need to get it together tech is exploding. If you follow the stock market, you already know that, but tech is exploding. And if you are not with the program, you are going to get left behind. There are so many things moving so fast. And all you have to do is watch the news for five minutes and you'll figure that out. So reach out to fast foundry and find out how you can be on the cutting edge of automation and modernization. Now, Robert goes to all the races. I don't know if he was at Loretta's or not, but he has been a long time supporter of Adam and Tignap who for once, seven deuce deuce raced outdoors, which is pretty cool. Qualified. He got that fourth spot in the consolation. It was dicey there for a second, but he got in, but he's been around racing forever. He knows the ins and outs. He can talk moto. You can talk about Loretta's. You can talk about MXGP and he's going to be keep up right with you. And then right on the backside of that, he's going to be able to tell you how to make your business as efficient as possible. So reach out to fast foundry and the boys over there, fastfoundry.com. And I want to thank them for coming on board this industry seating podcast Last but not least, Fly Racing 2021 is out. Check out the Formula Helmet. Go to flyracing.com. Go to at flyracingusa on Instagram and see what all the buzz is about. The new white pant is truly unbelievable. And yes, I am way biased, but I'm telling you, that pant is awesome. We really changed the game as far as stretch materials and zipperless entry. And it's just a high-performance minimalist pant that nothing else can touch on the market. And I say that with full confidence. So thank you to fly racing for being a part of this as well. Now let's get back into some 450 racing. Obviously this is uh, the premier class in America. We all know that. And I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't know if these guys would come in overprepared and we would see, you know, their best stuff right away. I didn't know if we would see some rust from being off for, let's see, how long were they off to almost two months. 
And I think we got a little bit of both. I think we saw guys that were fit. We didn't see a lot of guys just completely falling apart. But I think we did see some rust. You know, Eli Tomac jumps off the page to me as a guy that looked a little rusty. And I think he's earned that. He won his first ever Supercross title, which had to be an incredible weight lifted off his shoulders. He just had his first child, so I'm sure he wanted to spend some time with his child and, you know, his wife, or I'm not sure if they're even married yet. Whatever the situation is, I'm sure he wanted some family time with those two before getting into this outdoor championship, and he was still great. He just looked a little off in that first moto, and and he cited bike settings, and maybe that's true. Maybe it was just the bike was a little off because he certainly looked a lot better in the second moto, but he was a guy that I would point to that he wasn't the dominating Eli Tomac that... I could have expected. I don't, I didn't really have any, uh, preconceived notion for him, but we've certainly seen, you know, domination out of him in the past, but still a solid day for Tomac, but not, not good enough to beat Zach Osborne. Zach Osborne came to party. And for those of you who are super insightful of this podcast and my columns and everything, I was forced into picking Zach Osborne and I will be picking him at the next eight rounds because I lost a bet. I bet Zach Osborne that if he won any of the Salt Lake City Supercrosses that I would pick him to win every single outdoor race of 2020. And he got it done. He won that last one. He earned it. And now he's making me look like a genius because I picked him and he won. And we have a, I have a pretty good relationship with him. He's in a group text with myself and Jason Wigan and Steve Mathis. And so we all joke around and give each other a hard time. So, I, you know, on a professional level and a personal level, I was overjoyed to see Zach win. It's his first overall. He got it done. And I think the track was one that suited him. He likes when conditions are difficult. You know, he races GNCC races for fun. And I think when things get tougher, when the temperatures go up and the track deteriorates, I think that helps Zach. I don't think he is the guy that when, you know, the track's as fast as possible and everybody's super tight on lap times, I don't think that really works in his favor, but when the track slows down and you have to be smart and you have to, you know, really use your head to go fast, I think that helps him. And, you know, the GNCC experience, he even joked around saying like, you know, that's why I won because the track was so tough and ruddy and crappy that I had to use my GNCC skills, which he's kidding. But I, I think there's a little bit of truth to that. He's, he's certainly ridden conditions like that more than anybody else in his class. And it showed up on Saturday. So congrats to Zach. I hope this is the first of many more, but what a day it was for him. And it could not happen to a better guy. You know, if you, if you don't know Zach personally, or if you don't know much about him, he is a really great person all around and a, and a very easy person to cheer for. Next person on my list, Jason Anderson. What a first moto from Anderson, like unbelievable. And Osborne was trying to catch him. You know, he's given it everything he had, but Anderson held strong. I mean, I don't think anybody could say anything about that moto other than he earned it. He got out front early. He made moves early. And then he was almost unchallenged guys were battling and trying to catch him, but he never was pressured. I don't know how hard he was pushing. I would assume he didn't want anybody near him, but that was by far the most impressive ride I've ever seen. You know, he won that moto at Glen Helen, which was great. But I think in those conditions, the first moto of the year, that's a statement moto. Now, he wasn't able to back it up. He definitely looked tired in that second moto, and, and that's just my opinion of what I saw. But he looked tired in the second moto. When Tomac passed him, he didn't really have anything to fight back with, and you could see he wasn't even trying. He just kind of let Tomac go, and that's that's a telltale sign of 
not necessarily being exhausted, but the fight has kind of left you and you know that you don't have anything to push back with. And that's understandable. He won his first moto ever. I'm sure he was feeling the pressure of the overall because he's still, you know, waiting for that first overall win. But for a guy who left Alden Baker's program, and there was a lot of chatter about that, to come out and win the first moto of the year, I have nothing bad to say. Hell of a ride. Great job to Jason Anderson, and I think he's backing up his decision. Right or wrong, he made what he felt was the best decision for himself. And when you go out and win a moto, no one can say a word to you. You absolutely earn the right to do whatever you want. So great job by him. Next up on the list, Cooper Webb. And Webb had a kind of a weird day. I was up early watching practice. I watch every lap time, you know, study it, and I'm, I'm way too into it. But Webb was three seconds faster than everybody in that first practice. And I was like, oh, boy, these guys, <laughs> these guys might be in for some serious trouble here. But he was really never able to back that up. He looked pretty good. You know, it wasn't bad. I don't know what happened to him in that second moto. I think he ended up seventh, which was a little curious. I don't, I don't know how he ended up seventh. Maybe he got tired. Maybe he got too hot. He's certainly better than a seventh-place guy. But I, I do believe he will win a moto soon. I just think Cooper Webb is one of those guys that will figure it out. And we are at tracks that kind of suit his style. You know, that Loretta Lynn's track, Ironman, go to Red Bud. Those are all tracks that you, you think about Cooper Webb riding really well at. They just ruddy and technical and tough conditions. I think Webb will bounce back. He'll probably come out swinging next weekend. He's not a guy that losing doesn't sit well with him. So I think you'll see a a much more determined and pissed off Cooper Webb at round two than we we saw at round one. Next up, Chase Sexton. He was impressive, but I even texted this during the first moto. He was trying way too hard at the beginning of that first moto. You know, he he was fastest qualifier. Good for him. Really awesome way to start your 450 career. But I think when he was making all those crazy moves in the first laps, he was like, I'm going to go win. I'm going to go run away and dominate this moto. And I think he got a little carried away. And what happens is you just, your heart rate explodes, you know, for these guys that are, are pushing, you know, their heart, they want their heart rate to be around 180, maybe 190, which is sustainable, which sounds crazy for for most fitness people out there to be like, yeah, right. You're not holding 190 for 35 minutes, but it's true. That's what these guys are doing. So you want it to be in that 180 range, maybe 170 if if you're cruising. I think he was high 190s. You know, he was maxed out is really what it comes down to, and you can't sustain that. You can't hold it, and you saw him have to back it down. You saw him start to fall, not really fall back, but he was losing a spot here or there. And that forward charge that he had kind of ended. And I think he was just kind of trying to get his heart rate down and catch his breath a little bit. And then he made that big mistake in the midst of that, which was absolutely correlated to that and crashed. So in that second moto, I think he just approached it a little bit more calmly and said, okay, if I can get up there, great, but I'm not going to do anything stupid. I'm not going to, you know, try to put in the fastest three or four laps in my life here because it's a long race and you've got to deal with guys like Tomac and Marvin and Osborne and Anderson and Webb and all these guys for 35 minutes. They're just going to keep coming. And you're not fast enough as you know, a rookie first race ever in 450 class. You're not James Stewart or Ricky Carmichael where you're going to go three or four seconds a lap faster than everybody and just be gone, right? You put in four of your fastest laps and you have a 10 second lead because that's what James and Ricky did. He's not going to do that. I'm sorry. So, really all that happens is you put in this heroic effort and you put way too much emphasis on the early laps energy wise. 
your heart rate explodes. You have to back it down. And then, oh yeah, guess what? You've got to deal with all these superstars of moto for the next 25 minutes. And they're, they're fine. Like they've, they're just cruising. They're in their comfort zone. And now you've got to deal with them with an ex, you know, a really high heart rate and you're trying to recover in the midst of battling them. So I could kind of see it coming when he was in the midst of that he was either going to go win or he was going to do exactly what he did. And I wasn't really sure, but I felt like the latter was going to happen. And, and that's what happened. You know, it's just one of those things where experience, the experience really wasn't there yet. And I think he just got caught up in the moment. Now, having said all that, he was super impressive and he should be very proud of his day. That second moto was really something to watch because I thought Baggett was going to get him late and he showed that he's fit. He showed that he's capable of being a podium guy in the 450 class by fighting Baggett off and ending up third in that moto. So great job from him. I think there's more to come. If he goes out and wins a moto at Loretta's next weekend, wouldn't shock me. It would not at all. Um, But I think you're going to see a little bit of ups and downs as he learns. You're going to see crashes like we saw in the first moto. You're going to see a bad start now and again. You're going to see a bad decision at times. That's just a part of the learning process. And uh, there's another guy coming up here in a few minutes that's kind of in that same, same mode as well. Next up, though, Marvin Muscan. First race back from having his ACL, PCL, and MCL all reconstructed in December. So you can, you can understand why that was such a long return. But I thought it was a good day. I, you know, listening to our fantasy podcast and all these things, guys were very skeptical about Marvin doing anything. And I was pretty confident. I thought he had time to really heal the right way. You know, he's been riding since the end of May. So that's a little over two months of riding. But I think he was pretty fit when he started riding, which is which is the big difference. I think he had already been bicycling, and he'd already had a base fitness level. So when he, when he got to go riding, he was ready to really moto down and get into the mix with Osborne and Webb and Hampshire and all these uh, Baker's Factory guys. So good day for Marv. Not exactly the day he'd won, I think. But all things considered, your first race back, I think he would take it. Pretty solid. And I think he'll be winning sooner than later. I, I think he will win a moto by the time we leave Ironman. That's my belief. Uh, I just think Marvin is extremely talented on tracks like Loretta's and tracks like Ironman. So we'll see what he's got. But I think you're going to see him get better and better and better and quickly. Because what happens with injuries, much like RJ Hampshire, is you get out there and you put your body through kind of a torture test early because you all you've been doing is practicing. And then your body's like, oh yeah, I remember how to do this. And you get this really quick recovery. So I expect to see uh, Marvin's confidence and his body respond uh, in a very positive way very quickly. Next on the list, Justin Barsha. Quiet day as far as media-wise from Barsha, but I don't feel like it should have been. I mean, he rode really well. And I almost feel like the industry and myself, I'll be the first one, and the media, everybody had kind of written Yamaha and Barsha off which isn't really fair because he was on it yesterday. I think that track really suited the Yamaha, which we've seen how, I don't want to say temperamental, but it's it's the the word I keep coming back to that Yamaha is. If there's a lot of traction and it's ruddy, Yamaha's good. If it's dusty and hardback and slippery, Yamaha seems to struggle a bit more. So all the rounds coming up, this one, Ironman, Redbud, Millville, he should be good. He should be in the mix. All those have really good traction and ruddy, and he should be able to be very aggressive with his motorcycle, which is the biggest factor. So great job from Barsha. He came in with zero hype, none, and he showed up. Awesome job. 
I thought I wrote statement day in my notes because for a guy who everybody had counted out, he showed up. Adam Cincerillo, damn it. I think he could have won that second moto. Osborne was great, and Zach was right back there, so maybe Zach gets him. But, you know, it was set up for Adam to try to make a run to get away because that's what Adam's good at. He's good at getting out front and putting in just heaters that nobody can match in the early laps. He's also good at spectacular crashes, and that's exactly what he did. Uh, Superman right off his bike. It could have been so much worse. Thankfully, he's fine. He's frustrated. He's sick of crashing, but he's fine. And I think he's going to be a great starter all season long, and he's going to put himself up front, and we're going to see what he has. I think you're going to see a lot of just what you saw. Whether he crashes out of that spot or not, I don't know. But I think you're going to see him up front trying to just check out on everybody several times this season. You know, we have 16 motos to to go, and if he whole-shotted six of them, I wouldn't be shocked at all, or at least is on in the lead on the first lap six times. Wouldn't surprise me because I think he is extremely talented on the start. And I think that's inherent in his game plan is I'm going to get out front and I'm going wild in the first laps. And I'm going to try to build a lead in that, that same thing I was talking about with Sexton and Stewart and Carmichael. That's what AC is going to try to do. I don't know if he can do it. His speed I think is higher you know, if he gets out front, I think he's capable of setting a higher speed than Sexton. And we're going to find out if I'm right or wrong on that. But I think that's what Adam Cincerello, it's in his nature. That's just his instinct is to get out front and try to check out. Now it, he's going up against better guys than he's ever tried to do that against. And we saw him do it in the 250. He was capable of doing it. Once he figured everything out last year, that's what he did. He would get a whole shot and nobody could touch him. Since, you know, Ferrandis at times, Justin Cooper at times, but that's how he won his championship last year. Unfortunately, he's got to deal with, you know, Tomax and Webbs and Marvins and Osborns and all those guys this year. So I don't know how that's going to play out, but it's, it's certainly exciting to watch. Uh, Joey Savacci deserves a mention. He had a decent day. It was kind of what I expected. You know, run around in the top 10, a crash or two, a good start. I mean, that's kind of what Joey Savacci does. That's kind of what I think JGR signed up for. He's going to get better. You know, he hasn't raced in a long time. You got to remember that. He's been out pretty much for a year. So, you know, he hasn't raced since, uh, when's the last time he raced? Australia of 2019, which would have been November, I believe. I don't have the date in front of me, but that's a long time to not race, you know, 10 months or whatever. So I, I look for him to get better, and I think the way he starts his talent for starting and then using that, that Pirelli scoop tire that I mentioned is going to get him up front quite a bit. So look for him to, uh, to steadily improve. And I think you'll see him battling for a top five sooner than later. And, and maybe it's only one moto out of two or something, but I, I think he has the ability to get into that mix. Now, the last guy I have on my list is Blake Baggett. And I think he kind of showed up in that second moto qualifying. Not good. First moto and eh, not really good either. You got to understand this is, you know, he, he's a highly paid guy and he's on factory equipment and that team and his sponsors expect results. And that's, that's just a fact. That's not to add pressure. That's not an opinion. Those are just facts based on the contract that he has and based on the support he has. So I think that second moto was a nice bounce back and a nice kind of, Hey guys, I can do this statement to send to everybody. Because even guys like Steve Mathis were like, man, I don't know. Like, you keep pumping Baggett up, and he's not really showing up here. 
So for him to do it in that second moto, it, it kind of shut all those people up, including Steve. And I even texted him like, Hey, I told you this guy can get it done, you know? And Steve was like, yeah, that he rides like that. I have nothing to say. So good job by Blake. Good for the team. Good for his sponsors at a time when they need it most. So that's it for the racing. The last thing I want to mention, uh, I do this Saturday morning podcast and it is only found on Patreon. If you don't know anything about Patreon, it's basically a donation based site, no obligation. You don't ever listen to it in your entire life. Totally get it, but it's pretty cool. And we talk about last minute updates, weather, fantasy advice, things I expect to see on race day. And it's going to be every Saturday morning. Sometimes it's going to be late Friday night. Like the last thing I do on Friday night, before I go to sleep, I may do it at a few race rounds, but it's going to be up to the minute updates on what happened because a lot of these rounds I'll be at the track on Friday and I'm going to get scoops. I'm going to see who's feeling good. Who's not whose girlfriend's mad at him. Who's going to have a good day and a bad day. And all of that stuff could help you in your fantasy stuff. And even if you just like to be up to, you know, up to speed on the sport, I think it's a great opportunity. So go to patreon.com slash industry seating. And if you want any more information on that, just email me or ask me or DM me on my Instagram or whatever, just reach out to me and I'll send you the link to it again, no obligation. It's just a, a, another avenue I'm going down as far as giving information out. And it obviously helps, uh, the industry seating podcast out as well. So thank you to everybody for listening. I watched the MXGP round today. Pretty awesome. Don't have a ton of time today to get into it, but yeah, you know, it's kind of what we expected. Hurlings is still getting better. I think really the, the big thing to mention was damn Geiser has to be bummed that the Honda let go on him. We don't know if it was electrical or the engine or whatever, but you can't give 25 points to Jeffrey Hurlings. You can't do it. And Hurlings is not even his best self right now. You saw him in that first moto riding around in fourth and kind of struggling. Geiser wins the first moto and then you DNF the second moto. It's just, it's brutal. It is so brutal for Geiser's championship chances. And you're just handing it over to Hurlings at a time where he's, he's vulnerable. MX2 class. I don't know what to make yet. I think Vial is still the man to beat. He was my pick going in. Geertz. I think Geertz is the best rider in the, especially in the sand, but he's got too many holes in his game. He has been getting better starts on that, that star Yamaha. You can tell how much better that engine is than what he had because he's up front every time now. And he was getting the worst starts last year and the year before. So I credit that engine package for maybe making the difference. You know, if we look back and Geertz wins this MX2 title, I think he's got to go high five the Yamaha guys for stepping up his engine packaging and working with their global team to get him a better engine. Because we all know that Red Bull KTM is a fire-breathing dragon. It's been hole-shotting MX2 motos for years. It doesn't matter who they put on it. I'm positive that they could go to the local zoo and get a chimpanzee and train him how to start, and he would get a hole shot on a Red Bull KTM. That bike is that fast. So it's kind of a level playing field a little bit, it seems. Geertz has, has got a rocket ship under himself, too, and you're seeing him battle it out on the starts with the likes of Tom Vial now. So... Little short MXGP and MX2 update there. I'll try to get more uh, in depth on those in the coming weeks. I'm going to try to get over to Europe. I'm waiting on uh, the EU to let up on this. Uh, any visitors from America or the Schengen zone or anything like that happening? I've been in communication with them, and, and we're just kind of in a waiting game. But I think the way things are going, America just let their restrictions up, so we are allowed to go to Europe now, and I think the EU will follow fairly quickly in that because. 
again, tourism drives a lot of these decisions and places like Italy, I, I read a USA Today article and they are getting just clobbered financially because this is tourism time. They are so dependent on Americans going to Rome and all the, you know, Milan and Venice and all these places and spending money. And their, their economy is just in the toilet because there are literally no tourists from America in Italy, like none. So I think there's going to be a lot of pressure put on that. And I'm going to be the benefactor of that because I'm going to be able to travel sooner than later, get over there and commentate some races with Paul Malin. So thanks everybody for listening. I actually went longer than I thought I would go today. But lots of racing to talk about. I still have Formula One to watch. I haven't even watched that yet. So I hope I don't see anything about it on my social media. I've been dodging it all day. I needed to uh, to dodge it to find out who won MXGP and MX2. And I have one race to go. So again, thank you for listening. Check out patreon.com slash industry seating. And I will talk to you next Saturday morning for that. And next Sunday for industry seating. See you.